Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This is 1A. I'm Jen White. The Little Mermaid is back. This time, the Disney classic is reimagined in live action. Most of what you remember from the 1989 animated film is the same. A singing crab, a mermaid king, and a tentacled sea witch. But a new, diverse cast brings the characters to life, or at least to CGI. And they're led by Halle Bailey, who stars as Ariel. So how do these changes hold up? And has Disney figured out a live-action remake formula that works? That's what we're here to discuss in this month's edition of the 1A Movie Club. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Let's dive right in. Joining me from California is John Horn, Honorary Movie Club Vice President. He's an arts and entertainment reporter and host of the podcast Retake at LAist. John, welcome back to the program. Jen, always a pleasure to be with you. Also with us is Aisha Harris. She hosts NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. She's also the author of the forthcoming book, Wannabe, Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shaped Me. Aisha, it's great to have you back. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And Alex Abad Santos, a senior writer at Vox, where he covers culture. Alex, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, we'll get into what works and what doesn't in The New Little Mermaid, but the hype for this movie was real. Production first began back in 2016. Now that you've seen it in just a quick sentence, how does it compare to your expectations? John, I'll come to you first. Um, It's not The Little Mermaid, it's The Longer Mermaid. (laughs) This movie is almost an hour longer than the original, so you have fidgety kids, do not take them or plan on a break. It's almost a two-hour, I think it's more than two hours long. Um, I think it holds up okay. There's some interesting changes, especially to some very problematic lyrics in the original. Um, I've got real problems with it, though. Is this a film about a black mermaid or a mermaid who is black? And I don't think the film knows what the answer is. Aisha, what about you? Uh, my expectations were admittedly very, very low, and I think they lived up to them. Uh, just knowing how Disney has really perfected this formula of taking its animated classics and tweaking them a little bit, but mostly sticking to the to the script, um, it, it was exactly kind of what I expected. And unfortunately, I agree with John and think this was kind of more of a misfire than it was a success. Alex, what do you think? I hate to admit that I'm a Disney adult, but only for Little Mermaid, which is a weird thing to be. But um, I will say Halle Bailey, fantastic, amazing, sounds great. I think the rest of the movie, though, like when it comes to the CGI, is just 
a little creepy and it doesn't really I don't think it's as visually stunning as it could have been. Okay, so I I need to get just sort of a, a do a level set here. Clearly, Alex, you were a fan of the original Little Mermaid. Aisha, were you? I can quote and reenact the entire movie by heart. I love Little Mermaid. So I'm in the same boat. I am a Disney adult. I got engaged at Disney World. So yes, yes, big fan. John, what about you? Um, Did not get engaged at Disney World. Sorry. Um, I think Howard Ashman, um, who died very young from AIDS, could have been the next Stephen Sondheim. I know there's some problematic lyrics in Little Mermaid. I think he is one of the most brilliant songwriters around. There is some um, video of his working with Jody Benson on the original song, uh, Part of Your World, from the original movie. I think I think and that was the movie that really set Disney's animation world on fire. So it was a landmark event. Um, And I should also credit Alan Menken, who wrote the music. So, yeah, I I love those the early movies. Um, You know, certainly Little Mermaid is very high up there. And I think, you know, that kind of storytelling gave us Pixar as well. So I think some of the original storytelling, even though this is an adaptation, was beautiful. Um, And Jody Benson, no, no. Not to throw any shade on Ailey Bailey, Jody Benson's performance was also stunning, especially in singing uh, Part of Your World. Yeah, and Jody Benson, for people who aren't familiar, she voiced Ariel in the animated version of the film. And she does have, she pops up in this version too. It's, it's in a sort of blink and you miss her, but she is there. This isn't Disney's first live action remake of a Disney princess movie. Why do you think they chose to revisit The Little Mermaid as live action? In some ways, I think it's probably one of the harder ones to do because most of the good portion of the film, at least, takes place underwater, Aisha. Well, because they are literally going through their entire canon and and, and remaking every movie. Just uh, a few weeks ago, they announced that they are doing a live action remake of Moana, which came out less than a decade ago. Um, So they are really, really, they're running out of ideas, I think, or at least they are afraid to take on newer ideas because these do tend to be cash cows. Uh, The Little Mermaid, this version, um, it's not the highest ranking uh, of the domestic opening for these live action remakes. You know, The Lion King being the Beast opened bigger, but it's still going to, it's still netted them over a hundred million dollars in the global box office. So it's, it's, it's easy to grab people because it plays on that nostalgia and also brings in the new generation of the kids of those adults who have that nostalgia. I I feel like I'm a little bit of an outlier and, and perhaps it's because I'm not, (laughs) I'm not a film critic. I went to see the movie by myself. I was sitting next to a woman who was also there by herself we were probably uh, maybe a decade apart. She was maybe a decade younger than me. And she sang most of the movie as it was playing. But it was delightful. It didn't bother me at all because I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is hitting some deep chord within you. And it, I kind of liked it, guys. I don't know. Uh, I want to talk about Halle Bailey. She was cast as Ariel. And that was announced in July 2019. She's best known as a singer. She's half of the Grammy-nominated R&B duo Chloe and Halle with her sister. And I'd love to hear how she got to this moment, Alex. I know she auditioned. What happened? I mean, the the origin story is that she auditioned, and apparently everyone in the hallway heard how good she was <laughs> in singing, and they just basically were like, it's yours. This is yours. But, like, 
Chloe and Hallie have been super talented as like a duo. I mean, Beyonce is a big fan, and I think they're godmother or has a, some kind of connection a to them. And they're yeah. yes, oh, they're ultra talented, and it's like they've kind of split into two di- like two different paths, and now they're just splitting up a little bit. And so you have Hallie as just like this. She just like she's so joyous in the role that it seems like it was made for her, and her vocals are so good in the role. Well, Little Mermaid director Rob Marshall spoke recently about Hallie's audition. Hallie, you know, we auditioned so many people, every ethnicity, every kind of person we could find. I mean, it was like literally hundreds of people. And the and the irony, of course, is the first person that walked through the door was Hallie Bailey. <laughs> she literally came in, um, said, Would you, should I read or sing first? We said, we'd love you to do whatever you'd like. She said, I'll sing first. She started to, she shut her eyes. I remember that. Mm started to sing part of your world and it was so emotional it was so moving i was in tears and i thought i turned to you john i said is this ariel well hallie's casting was met with a wave of racist backlash because she is black she told the new york times quote i just focus on the positives and the greatness that i've been seeing in these beautiful babies reactions that's what's special to me end quote and when the first teaser for the movie was released there were Lots of social, uh, lots of videos on social media showing kids reacting to a black aerial. John, how did Disney react to that backlash? Well, Disney's had a lot of its own problems politically lately. Um, I, I mean, they were they're kind of stuck. I mean, what are you going to do? You get you're trying to do what you think is the right thing by casting a person of color in a lead role, and people criticize it. Um, They had nowhere to go. I mean, I think what. What also is interesting, it's not just here that that is a problem. In China, uh, The Little Mermaid is purple, basically, in the posters. They recolored uh, Ariel in those in those uh, posters there. And also the movie bombed, and state newspapers were writing about Disney's kind of woke behavior. So it's Ron DeSantis has apparently moved to China as well. Disney didn't have anything to, they could do. I mean, they they embraced it. They said this is, as you heard Rob Marshall say to John DeLuca's partner, this is the best person for the role. Um, I don't know what they could have done differently mm-hmm. um, because you're – Again, in their mind, they're trying to do the right thing, and they're criticized for recasting the part. Um, I don't know what their options were. Well, Aisha, I'd love to hear from you on that as well, as well as on Hallie's interpretation of Ariel. Um, Well, I think Hallie is a beautiful singer, and I think she exudes this effervescence and charm that is very hard to resist. Um, I do think I I wanted the Ariel to be a little bit spicier, to be a little bit more kind of um, mischievous. And I wasn't quite getting that from her. I was getting a lot of sweetness. Um, But I thought she was really, really lovely. Um, Yeah. I think she was great. Sharita emails, I'm a millennial mom. I took my daughter to see it this weekend and for the most part really enjoyed it. Love how they made it more inclusive with Prince Eric being adopted by the Black Queen. But Sebastian's accent was nowhere near as believable and smooth as the original. And I'm still not sure why a flounder wasn't yellow. We'll get into it after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute where hundreds of researchers and clinicians make new discoveries inspired by the work of previous Dana-Farber scientists. See why nothing is as effective against cancer as a relentless succession of breakthroughs. Learn more about their momentum. Go to DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. 
Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. A member FDIC. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the conversation with these messages we got from some of you. Little Mermaid came out when I was like four years old, and I instantly fell in love with the story. I instantly fell in love with the characters. You know, I was one of those little girls in the bathtub uh, reenacting the scene where Ariel is on the rock singing to Prince Eric. So I'm I'm very excited about this new film. Um, I'm very excited to see Halle Bailey. Uh, she's a brown girl like me. I'm, I'm going to love seeing her locks flowing throughout the scene. I just can't wait. I'm excited. I feel like I'm kind of reliving my childhood a little bit. I saw the live action Little Mermaid. Um, it came out in 1989. I was born in 1987. I'm also uh, a girl of color. Um, I saw it with a friend, and there were several girls and women there, and everyone loved it. Uh, the girls seemed super empowered or even saying they felt empowered after the movie when we were leaving. Um, representation is so important, and I felt like the live action was amazing. Christian in Kentucky and Felicia in Indiana, thanks for those messages. When we talk about Halle Bailey's casting as Ariel, when I zoom out and look at the, the movie more broadly, I mean, it is it looks completely different than the original animated movie. I mean, there was not much diversity in that animated uh, movie. There was like a very unfortunate moment with a, a black fish in one of the songs in Under the Sea. But outside of that, like it was, there was nothing there. And that moment was pretty dicey. But I, for one, appreciated the fact that it was just this very diverse mix of People and even King Triton's daughters are presented very differently as more uh, representative of the different seas they they kind of over oversee. John, what did you think about that element of the movie? I think it's really interesting. I mean, I think it also comes back to that idea that I posed earlier. Is this a story about a black mermaid or a mermaid who's black? Are those people of color uh, a corrective uh, to past Disney movies? Or is that the way in which Disney sees the world now? Um, I have to highly recommend Wesley Morris's review of this film in the New York Times because he writes, and this is something that kind of crossed my mind, the back of my mind, and he talks a lot about race and depictions. And here's what he writes that I thought I think is really profound. I mean, with all these black women running around in a period that seems like the 19th century, the talk of ships and empire, Brazil and Cartagena, just makes me wonder about the cargo on these boats. 
Yeah, but uh, I, I I get it. I get it. But at the same time, like this is a kids movie. I, know I mean, that. I you should. I, know that. I should. And and uh, Alex, I want to hear from you on that as well because I feel we can have these very uh, high level conversations about the subtleties. And when I think about some of the stuff I watched as a kid, and I go back and watch it now, I'm like, ooh, ooh, I missed, I missed a lot. But Alex, what do you think about that that deeper analysis? I mean. I don't think that struck me when I was watching it. Like, I wasn't really, that wasn't my first thought. But I think, like, one of the things that goes on in the movie is, like, you see that they're, like, like you said, like, King Trident is no longer a king that's, like, deeply interested in musicals (laughs) for his daughters. He's more in, like, it's, like, there's this lore of, like, okay, well, the the daughters come from the seven seas and they oversee this thing. And it's just, like, well, it's kind of just left there, right? And you kind of wanted to see a little bit more of it. Like, what is, like, what, like, who is Ariel's mom? Who are these, who are the daughters? Who are the daughter's moms? Where do they live? Where do they come from? And it just kind of is left there. And mm-hmm. there's a lot left on the table, I think. Yeah, but deeper analysis would have made the movie longer, which probably wouldn't be good for the, the younger members of the audience. Aisha, I'd love to hear from you on, on that deeper analysis of the movie as well, though. Some of the, the undertones maybe that we might miss if we're kids watching the movie, but as an adult, you might be like, huh. Yeah, I mean, they definitely went the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella route with the the version with Brandy and Whitney Houston, where like somehow a white dad and a black mom had a Filipino child. Um, but I, what I, what I think about this movie, a few things can be true. I think that um, the racists who were upset about her being black in the first place, like we can, that's terrible. I also think that Disney did this in part not just with uh, with the idea that this is what's good for, like to correct for itself, but also because it's financially uh, optimal, right? Like this, we're in a time now where it helps to diversify and seem inclusive. But I think to John's point, I do think that this inclusivity is very surface level. There's a lot of like glossing over the fact that she is a black Disney princess. And I don't think representation alone is enough for me to say that this movie works. I think Disney is at its best being diverse and inclusive when it is creating new and original stories like The Princess and the Frog or Moana, as opposed to trying to sort of retrofit and uh, deliberately correct for not having black, brown princesses in its earlier um, output. Now, again, this is a live-action remake, but there's a heavy dose of CGI throughout the movie, and it's mostly underwater, so that's to be expected. What did you think overall about the the look of the film, John? Um, it's no Pandora. I mean, James Cameron can do that world better. I thought it looked okay, and there's some beautiful use of light, especially underwater. Um, the above-ground stuff felt like, you know, it could have been a James Bond movie in terms of the castle on the coast of, I think it's the coast of Italy where they shot it. Um, But I do want to mention one thing. I think it's really important. They did look at the lyrics of the songs and they made sure that, you know, lyrics play a very important role in how children see the world. The original lyrics for Kiss the Girl were, it don't take a word, not a single word, go on and kiss the girl. No question of consent. The new lyrics are, yes, you want her, look at her, you know you do, possible, she want you too. Use your words, boy, and ask her if the time is right and the time is tonight. And also in the song, uh, Poor Unfortunate Soul. The body language uh, line got got. Oh, my goodness. There's horrible lines about how what men want is somebody who looks good and stays silent. That's That's what men are looking for, and that's gone as well. So I think 
the look is great, but I also think it's really important that they took notice of what the words were because those words send a message to kids and they start to influence how they see themselves and see themselves in the world. But again, to look, I thought the underworld part was great, but Pandora's little nicer looking. Mm, well, I'm going to talk about the music a little bit more in a moment, but sticking with the, the visuals, Alex, you wrote about the marine life and, and how the CGI handles that. What did you think? Right. So, like, when you have these things, uh, these live-action CGI, realistic-looking things, and the same thing happened in Lion King in that, like, it almost looks like a nature documentary, right? Because everything is so, like, accurate. But then but then you start looking at, like, the fish and, like, the way their mouths move, and it's a little weird. Like, it's almost like Uncanny Valley. Like, you're like, what am I really watching? And I think that was my takeaway. It was just, like, it's just a very strange thing for a fish to be singing, and yeah. So, like I don't I don't know if I should want to if I want to see a fish's m- mouth realistically move like that for extended periods of time. <laughs> what about you Aisha? What did you think about the CGI element? Oh yeah, I mean it was giving me like video game circa 2003 to be honest. Um it it did not feel lifelike and I think for me to Alex's point, the the problem with the fish especially, and again, this is also the issue we had with the Lion King, is that what makes the original Lion King, the original Little Mermaid, Beating the Beast so special in part is because the hand-drawn animation actually animates these characters. Sebastian is a rubbery, somehow he's a crab, but he's like super rubbery in the mm-hmm. 1989 version and his eyes are huge. And that's part of what makes the character stand out and so special. And so when you're reduced to creating them to actually look like a crab or actually look like a fish, you're taking away the actual like fun of the original animation and the ability for these voice actors to really come through the the animation. Yeah. It, it, one of the things I picked up on is, in addition to what you described there, Aisha, and that those characters get sort of flattened, their ex- expressions do. I, I really loved the human version or the live action version of the people. And the humans, because there are just some subtleties of expression that I thought came through more strongly. Um, this, the scene when Ariel and um, Eric are in the boat during Kiss the Girl, and she's trying to teach him how to say her name. And in the original version, in the animated version, you know, Sebastian kind of whispers to him, Ariel, her name is Ariel, and that's how he learns her name. But there's this wonderful moment between the two of them of her doing this funny little thing with his lip to teach him how to say her name. And I was like, oh, that's that's awesome. But then the other characters were were definitely flattened. I want to turn to the music. Now, the original Little Mermaid won two Oscars in 1990, one for Best Original Song, one for Best Score. This movie adds three new songs, including Wild Uncharted Waters, sung by Jonah Hoyer, uh, King, who plays Prince Eric, uh, The Scuttlebutt, sung by Aquafina and David Diggs, who plays Scuttle and Sebastian, respectively. And there's also, for the first time, that's a new song sung by Ariel. What did you all think of the new music added to this remake, Alex? I think the hard part is, is the first, the original is written by the lyricist is Howard Ashman. And his lyrics are so clever and so playful and full of so much genius that like, 
whatever you put up next to it has to be really good or it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. And I feel like the Halle Bailey song kind of like, it, she sounds great. I think the Prince Eric song kind of sounds like a weird Les Mis, <laughs> like a Les Mis impersonation. And then the Scuttlebutt song just is kind of just like, honking and terrible and i absolutely dislike it so much and sorry to aquafina for rapping that lin-manuel miranda song right so lin-manuel miranda teamed up with alan Menken for those new songs aisha what did you think about the new music i mean scuttlebutt is still haunting my my dreams uh I, I, I think for the first time is the only new song that works for me, in part because, first of all, she sounds great. It also feels kind of like a modern day musical theater song mm-hmm. in, a, in a good way. Um, and also it kind of skirts another issue that the movie has and that the, the, the fairy tale itself has, which is that like she Ariel does not speak for a big chunk of the movie. So this is the, that song comes after she's turned into a human and it's like her inner monologue. And I think that was an interesting and clever way to approach that issue and sort of update it. Um, but I, I just found the new Under the Sea to be, it sounds like they slowed it down. It felt very like laborious. And I, I just think... It, I, I, I couldn't, I could not, could not uh, enjoy it nearly as much as I have the original soundtrack, which I've listened to, I don't even know how many times. John, what about you? I mean, I was especially interested in in that we we get to know Prince Eric a little bit more in this version. In the original, he's just this guy who falls in love with somebody who saved his life. We know nothing really about him except that he's got maybe a little bit of a rebellious streak. Well, and he's an orphan because how could he possibly have a black mom? I think that's well, uh, but not in the original though. In the original, no, film, I know. Yeah, in, in the new version, mm-hmm. I think I think what they have done uh, the parallel stories that I think are more the most interesting is they've made Eric's story parallel Ariel's, and that is they want to see the world, they want to go out and explore, do things different, and their parents don't want them to. They want to protect them. They want them to keep them close. And I mean, as a parent who has sent kids away to college recently, I know that feeling. You want you don't want them to go. And I think that's where the movie works the best. They have these parallel stories where Eric is not really, you know, the prize. He is he is company. He is a shared interest. And they also don't get married in the new one. They get they propose or they get engaged. Um, so it's different. But I think the way that they chart their stories as overlapping, they are they feel estranged from their own family. They want to go out and do something and they're prohibited from doing that. I think that's I think that is where Eric works best in this new telling of the story. And I think it's that is really good storytelling. Scuttlebutt, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go in with a group. Um, <laughs> not not your fave. Howard Ashman Bet you on land they understand, but they don't reprimand their daughters. Bright young, young women, women, sick of swimming, swimming ready, ready to, to stand. stand. That is genius songwriting. <laughs> I, I want to make sure we touch on Melissa McCarthy's turn as Ursula. We haven't talked about her yet. And, and that's such an iconic character. Aisha, what do you think? Did she nail it? I mean, no one's going to be able to touch Pat Carroll, who is the original voice of Ursula, um, and who is also channeling Divine, the drag mm-hmm. drag queen. Um, but I do think that, for me at least, Melissa McCarthy is actually the best part of the movie. I think she kind of lands upon both what made the original version of Ursula so fun and so um, <laughs> uh, maniacal, but then also brings her own spin to it. And she seems to also be the one who feels the least constricted by the underwater 
water scenes. I think part of it is also that the CGI for her character just feels out of all of the mer people fish. She, she seems the most like realistic, but also uh, just sort of vibrant with all those tentacles running around. So I really liked Melissa McCarthy here. And I, I thought she was doing the best that she could with, um, with the material that she had. Well, and Alex, remind me, in the original animated film, were Triton and Ursula siblings? I do not believe so. It's a little bit like it, if you watch the original, uh, what you'll notice is that Ursula isn't really in it that much. And so I think what they did is they added a little bit here and there. Like there's a little bit more of her plotting here, a little bit more of her backstory here. And I think like we got to it earlier, like they kind of, and one of the things that they changed and one of the things I've kind of like maybe a different, uh, view about is like they change her body language and they kind of lop it all off the body language uh verse which i think is so iconic in the first one mm. well i i have had a long-standing theory that ursula and triton were siblings um from that first movie but that's that's for another show michelle emails my twins turned 17 on may 26 the day the movie came out and wanted to treat two pals to the movie as a birthday treat so i enjoyed watching the movie and watching my girls watch the movie the girls noticed the changes in the song lyrics and appreciated that not only were they improved and less sexist, the character of Eric was expanded to be more dimensional, not just a macho, pretty face. Coming up, how does The Little Mermaid fit in with the rest of Disney slates of remakes and reboots? And are audiences ready for more original content? That's coming up after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. Support for NPR and the following message come from Jarl and Pamela Moan, thanking the people who make public radio great every day and also those who listen. Let's get back to the discussion. The new Little Mermaid debut over the holiday brought in $118 million in the domestic box office. That's the fifth largest Memorial Day weekend opening of all time. The film costs $250 million to produce. John, can Disney consider this a financial success? Yeah, I think it's a great opening. And Disney has suffered because during the pandemic, it released so many movies straight to Disney Plus, or they were very briefly in theaters. Disney basically educated the majority of its audience not to go to the theaters, to just subscribe to Disney Plus, and you'll see the movies there. And it, it's really hurt some Pixar films lately. So I think $120 million was the high-end estimate for the four-day weekend, and that it got to 118 is great. Yes. I think given what's happened, streaming versus theatrical release, it's really good. Um, the international numbers, I mentioned how bad China was, which is a huge market for Hollywood studios. We'll see how it does in the rest of the world. But I think it's a good opening. It obviously has to stick in, you know, stick in there for a while to come. But I'm sure Disney is very happy with how it opened so far. Let's go back to our voicemail box. I'm just personally tired of hearing uh, and seeing all, all the, the remake stuff. Uh, because by not having new intellectual property, you are essentially like, robbing future generations of their own original experiences and stories. 
Alex, how do you think The Little Mermaid compares to other live-action remakes that have come out in recent years? And we should mention there was also a live TV version of The Little Mermaid in 2019. I mean, I think if you compare them financially, I think what I, I think the interesting thing to think about these movies is that they all do super, super well financially. And we'll see if like Little Mermaid will live up to like what Aladdin did, which was like a billion dollars, mm. or like Lion King. And like so these things are very, very successful. I think like storytelling wise, I think it's up there. I, I mean Pro- I, it's hard for me to pick like the best one because I'm like I love all the originals so much, and I don't think that we've had one that's just we've had one of these new live action CGI remakes. And like we're talking about Beauty and the Beast, we're talking about Lion King. I guess like maybe Cinderella might be the best one out of all of them mm-hmm. because maybe I just don't like the weird CGI. <laughs> like, but like I think if you're looking financially and quantifiably, that's what you're looking for. That's what Disney's looking for is, is it going to make a billion dollars worldwide? John, I mean, when you think about Disney as a company, how are they balancing I suppose, risk versus reward. So we can do a remake and we know if we do this live action reboot, people are going to come watch it, right? So there, there's maybe some financial security in that as opposed to we're going to put out some new content, figure out where to put it, if it's going to be streaming, if it's going to be in a theater. I mean, how are they balancing those tensions right now? Well, they are doing some original content. Pixar has a new film coming out in a couple of weeks called Elemental. Mm-hmm. I've seen a, a good chunk of it. It looks really good, and it's completely original. It's about fire and water as characters trying to get along. Um, it looks really good. They still have Searchlight, which is making its kind of small art house films. But, you know, it is catering to the audience. And to that other comment about why there's so many remakes, if moviegoers want something different, they got to go to those different movies. So I'm looking at the top 10 movies of this year. Tell me when you spot a trend, Jen. Super Mario Brothers movie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Avatar, The Way of Water, Ant-Man and the Wasp, John Wick, Chapter 4, Creed 3, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, probably won't be The Last Wish, The Little Mermaid, Fast X, Scream 6. Every single one is a remake, sequel, reboot. And Haunted Mansion, you, we talked earlier about the, the other remake. Haunted Mansion is being remade by an interesting filmmaker, Justin Simeon, who did Dear White People. That's coming out uh, 20 years after the last Haunted Mansion. So Disney has all of this, as they call it, IP, intellectual property, and the audience is interested in seeing it. So if you're a studio executive, would you want to take a risk on an original story or would you want to make a sequel? Because last year... You look at the original stories, Tar, Women Talking, Till. Nobody went to go see those movies. Mm. So she said they all flopped. Even Steven Spielberg's Fablemans didn't attract an audience. That, to me, is really sad because, yes, these blockbusters are going to do their business, but the the gulf between the haves and have-nots has never, ever been wider. But people saw everything everywhere all at once, John. That that, that was the one exception. Yeah. Really. I mean, That's, it's, and, and great for it. Yeah, yes. I mean, so, so how much of this, too, though, Aisha, do you think is about marketing? Because as soon as it was announced that they were going to do a reboot of The Little Mermaid. And then Hallie Bailey was announced as, I mean, the marketing machine kicked into gear and it picked up steam over social media with people doing reaction videos. It is Part of it is just like, it's easy to sell this. Yeah. I mean, look, Disney has money that A24 can only dream of. And A24 does a pretty good job um, of getting getting these smaller indie movies to wide audiences. But I think that, 
you know, it's we live in a time now where everything is IP and we're even seeing streaming giants, including HBO Max, which is now Max, um, sort of like disappearing its own intellectual property uh, for for financial reasons. And so we're, we're in a tough position where the entire landscape of popular culture is shifting and where it will eventually land is hard to tell. But to John's point, it definitely seems like part a huge part of the issue is that the people are coming out for the familiar IP because that's what they are getting marketed first and foremost. And everything else requires a little bit of a little bit more time on behalf of the consumer to like seek that stuff out that is different. Um, and not everyone has the time or has the energy to do so. Well, before we wrap up, we've just got about a minute left. And this was a, a huge uh, movie for the spring. But I'm curious what summer movies each of you are looking ahead to. And Alex, I'll come to you first. Uh, Spider-Verse. Yes. I can't wait for Spider-Verse. Why are you looking forward to that one? And this is another animated movie. It's another animated movie. It comes out, I think, at the end of... I think Friday, right? End of this week. Yeah. Oh, wow, it's Friday. Uh, I mean, it's Miles Morales. He's like, as Aisha said, it's just a different take on, P- on like the Peter Parker Spider-Man story. And it's just... There's so much, like, love and attention to, like, the original source material, but it's also, like, pushing the character in different new ways. At the same time, telling that story of, like, a plucky teenager who just is growing up and learning how to be a person in this world. Aisha, what about you? I mean, lest people think that I am completely against any IP of any kind, I do... I do really look forward to Barbie, the Greta Gerwig, Noah Baumbach co-written film. Um, it, yes, it's IP, uh, but you've got Margot Robbie as Barbie. You've got Ryan Gosling as Ken. And after seeing what Greta Gerwig was, was able to do with Little Women, I'm so intrigued by what she'll be able to do with this story. All right, John, your summer movie pick? Uh, love Barbie. I'm going to go with Oppenheimer, Chris Nolan's film, original story coming out July 21st, same day as Barbie about Robert Oppenheimer played by Cillian Murphy. Uh, looks fantastic. And it's not a sequel, remake, reboot, knockoff. It's an original story. Well, we'll leave the conversation there. That's John Horn, Honorary Movie Club Vice President. He's an arts and entertainment reporter and host of the podcast Retake at LAist. Also with us, Aisha Harris. She hosts NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. She's also the author of the forthcoming book, Wannabe, Reckonings with the Pop Culture That Shaped Me. And Alex Abad Santos. He's a senior writer at Vox, where he covers culture. John, Aisha, Alex, thanks to you all. Today's producer was Arfi Getty. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Thanks for letting us be part of your world. And we'll talk more tomorrow. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. 
One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.